Hello and welcome to Transitioning to Carbon Net Zero, presented by Standard Chartered, the podcast where we discuss the challenges involved in decarbonizing the global economy. This is arguably the greatest challenge of our lifetime, yet there remain questions about what reaching carbon net zero means. What will it take to reach this goal? And crucially, can it be done in time to prevent irreversible damage from climate change to our planet? I'm Libby Potter, and in this episode, it's my pleasure to be joined by Bill Winters, Group Chief Executive at Standard Chartered. Thank you for having me. By way of an opening, banks are not the first places you think of when you think of the global drive to tackle climate change. So how does a bank help in this effort? It's an excellent question, and there's lots of ways uh, the banks can help. Uh, the, the fact is, the the, the companies that, uh, that, that are responsible for the bulk of the world's emissions uh, are typically financed either by or through banks. And... Uh, I think we've taken taken it uh, upon ourselves and our, our stakeholders to help make sure that the money that's flowing from uh, from all the savers of the world and to all the all the people who are uh, deploying those savings in the world is done in a way that's consistent with uh, with the the climate change agenda. Uh, so consistent with the, the march to uh, net zero for the global economy by 2050. When a company talks about transitioning to net zero, what does it actually mean? It's a huge question, and and I think in some cases it's pretty clear. Uh, I, I think. Yeah, for, for starters, we've got these definitions of, of scope one, two, and three, uh, with one being uh, the, 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 the direct uh, emissions from our business, and, and two being that the things that we can control uh, and see, uh, but that are an, an extension of our business, and three being the emissions that are coming from basically our suppliers uh, or uh, other parts of our, our means of production. For us, the most difficult by far is to, is to determine what is our responsibility for the emissions of our clients to whom we're providing financing. So, for example, uh, if we lease an aircraft to an airline, uh, how much of the of the carbon emission from that that airline's business activities, flying people around the world, is going to be chalked up to standard chartered? Uh, and those are those are big methodological questions. There's really no right answer, but we have to come up with an answer nevertheless. Uh, and once we've measured what our emissions are today, uh, what we're saying is uh, we're going to get that down to zero by 2050. Now, we know that we can never get our emissions all by ourselves to zero, but no matter how hard we try, we're still going to have some power that's not entirely green. Uh, and we're still going to have some financing activity with clients who themselves can't get down to zero emissions. Uh, so once we've done everything we possibly can to reduce our own emissions, scope one, scope two, and scope three, uh, we'll, we'll almost certainly need to buy uh, some carbon offsets or sort of buy carbon credits in the market. Uh, which is saying we can't reduce our emissions any further, but we're going to get to net zero ourselves by helping other people get carbon out of the environment. And that could be investing in reforestation projects uh, or investing in projects to avoid deforestation, uh, or it could be uh, investing in new technologies uh, that suck carbon out of the atmosphere and, and sequester it underground permanently, uh, or that uh, invest in technologies that will allow us to replace uh, jet fuel, diesel fuel, a petroleum product, uh, with, with an alternative green aviation fuel, or to, uh, to, to replace uh, fossil fuel-powered uh, facilities with hydrogen-powered facilities, those sorts of things. So net zero means getting the global economy to the point where there is no longer carbon going into the atmosphere. There just simply is no more going in. So we're definitely going to pick up on some of those points in a little while. But first of all, I wanted to ask what you feel your role as CEO is in transitioning your company's carbon emissions to net zero. And how can you personally affect change? 
So, it, well, at Center Charter, so we're on, we're on the CEO, we've, we have uh, a, a broad sustainability agenda. It's one of our four key strategic pillars. Uh, one is to, uh, to, to reduce our own emissions directly. And that's, uh, th- that's a matter of, of, I would say, public conscience. It's, it's, just, it's a commitment that we've made. It's a commitment that our, our stakeholders expect us to make. Uh, and we think that the pressure on CEOs to honor that demand from our owners and other stakeholders will only increase through time. Uh, my colleagues want to come to work for a company that they believe in and that they believe is, is, is taking care of, of their future, uh, both their professional future, but also their, their livelihood. And they see climate change uh, increasingly as a very critical component of that. So that, that's a key stakeholder for me as a CEO uh, to address in addition to the owners and, and others in, in civil society. The second role for us to play is to help all of our clients. And look, our, our clients are the, the the largest corporations in the world, multinational corporations. Uh, our clients are local businesses. Standard Chartered has operations very much uh, skewed to the emerging markets. We're deeply penetrated in Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Uh, these are the countries and the markets that will be most affected by climate change if we don't halt it. Uh, many of these are coastal areas subject to flooding. Many of these are already on the on the edge of desertification. Uh, and uh, many would find uh, even a a, a one and a half degree increase in global temperatures uh, to render big parts of their local economy uh, uninhabitable. Our markets, uh, if we don't get this right, will be most affected. They're under pressure themselves. They're under pressure from their own stakeholders, from their owners, from their local governments. Their governments have signed up to the the Paris Agreement and uh, where they've made commitments to reduce their carbon uh, emissions. Those transitions for our clients it's an expensive proposition. Right? To decommission a coal-fired power plant and replace it with renewables requires a significant capital investment upfront. Our job is to pull that, uh, that, that funding together and direct it towards the projects that can have the highest impact uh, for our clients, but also the highest impact in the fight against climate change. Many banks, including Standard Chartered, have made commitments to stop funding new coal-fired power plant projects. What does this mean in practice in relation to transitioning to low-carbon economies? the largest single source of power in the markets where we operate. Uh, so across Asia, the Middle East and Africa, uh, the primary source of, of power is coal. And in many cases, uh, with with uh, plants that have relatively old technology so that the carbon efficiency is even worse. I, it, these are really bad polluting plants. And we said that we will, straightforward, we won't finance any more coal-fired power plants. And you know, our uh, the, the clients who are dependent on coal-fired power plants to, to serve the, the growing need for power in their markets, initially said, uh, you're not being very reasonable. Uh, this, is, this is a necessary set of investments that we need to make in coal in order to satisfy the power needs of our population. And without power, we, we can't educate our people. Uh, we, we can't acquire the, uh, the, the form of life that will allow us to develop as an economy. We won't be able to grow our industry, et cetera, et cetera. We said, you know, that's uh, that, that's a fair complaint. But what we'll do is is to make substantial funding available to you to invest in alternatives. Uh, so we'll make it worth your while to not build that coal-fired power plant, but rather to build a solar farm or uh, engage in, in in a hydro project or something of that nature. And I would say very quickly, uh, the clients that were effectively found themselves unable to access the financing that they wanted. Uh, to to finance coal-fired power plants were the biggest promoters of renewable power on the planet. And very encouragingly, uh, as the world has adopted this sort of approach more and more, the cost of renewables has come down. So 
we're, we're, we're regularly financing projects uh, across our markets where the cost of the renewable project, it's actually creating the cheapest source of power, cheaper than coal. Uh, now, there's still a transition financing that's required. You still have to shut down the old plant and build the new one. The, the earnings only come subsequently. Uh, and that, that's what banks do, is to fund those kinds of investments that are generating a, a, a strong return, certainly for the, the person who's borrowing the money, uh, but obviously to the extent that that is, is matched by, uh, by value creation for society at large, that's a fundamentally good thing, and that, that's what we do. So you mentioned that Standard Chartered operates in emerging markets, markets that are known to be major contributors to global carbon emissions. Does this undermine your commitment to sustainability, do you think? Not at all. We, we made a statement, uh, I guess it was two years ago, uh, that we have subsequently tightened even further. But we said we will not have uh, any financial relationship with corporations who are more than 10% dependent on coal for their underlying operations. And, uh, and that will be by 2030. Uh, so we said, dear clients, you have 10 years from 2020 to work with us to reduce your uh, your dependence on coal below 10%. Now we subsequently revised that down to 5%. Uh, but but uh, along with the with the declaration that we would not have a, a client that's more than 10% dependent on coal, uh, we said we've we, we've also got 40 billion dollars of financing uh, that we will make available to those same clients who need help transitioning from dependence on coal to dependence on other power sources. Uh, so we, we still do have climate. Here we are in 2021. We still have clients that are reasonably dependent on coal. Uh, virtually none of our clients responded to our uh, to our declaration by saying, you know, we can't do that or we won't do that. They've all said, that's good. We have the same objective to reduce our dependence on coal. Let's figure out how we can do this together and let's figure out how Santa Charter can help in doing that. So, uh, but I, I, I broaden this out a bit to say you know, the, 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 the broader commitment that we've made is that we as a bank will be net zero by 2050. And uh, and that includes our share of the emissions that come from the clients that we're financing. So exactly to your point about our existing client base. Now, as we all know, 2050 is 29 years from now. Uh, we're not gonna be at net zero tomorrow. Uh, we have airlines uh, that are burning jet fuel in our, uh, in our lending book. We have utilities that are burning coal in our lending book. Uh, and we have uh, steel manufacturers that are that are burning coking coal, now using coking coal in our lending book. They're, they're there today. Uh, we have told every one of those clients they're going to need to come up with their own plan in, in terms of their own transition to net zero, and it will help them get there. And uh, I, I say so far, uh, the response has been outstandingly positive. I think people, our clients, are very, very happy that we're helping them in their transition, which is the only way that we can help ourselves in our own transition. Uh, along the way, though, you'll have uh, people who will observe and say, but, you know, you're, you're, you're providing financial services to a company that's still using coal. How can that be consistent with, with Standard Chartered's net zero commitment? The answer is it's a transition. That's what the, that's what the world has signed up to. That's what we've signed up to. We all believe that if we, if we accomplish this net zero by 2050, that we can keep temperature changes on the planet to below one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels. Right? That, that's why we're doing this. Uh, that's and that that should be enough to save the planet, uh, but we can't do it overnight, and we never never no one's ever pretended that you could do it overnight. So that's uh, the business that we're in. That's the transition that we're undertaking. It's the commitment that we've made, and every indication I've seen so far is that we will be able to hit that commitment. 
So can you tell me a bit more about your role as chairman of the Institute for International Finance, the task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets? It's a mouthful for sure, but what is it and what's the significance of it? It is a mouthful. And it's, it's, I can tell you, it's an armful in terms of the, the work that we've taken on as well. <laughs> the carbon credit market today, it exists. It's existed for 30 years. There are government forms of that market, like the, uh, the, the, the European uh, emission scheme. Uh, and there's a private market, which is, which is bespoke. Basically, people brokering investments between companies that want to buy carbon credits uh, and those people who are actually either planting the forests or committing not to cut their trees down uh, or investing in technologies that can take carbon out of the atmosphere uh, or create uh, alternatives to fossil fuels. And, uh, but it's a very inefficient market today. There's, there, there's no easy way for a buyer and a seller to come together with a high degree of confidence uh, that, that, that it's a good project today and that it remains a good project. Uh, if, if I pay $100 today to, uh, to plant a bunch of trees, I want to know that 30 years from now, those trees are still standing. And who's going to check that for me? Uh, well, if you're a big company, you might have a whole team of people that are out checking to make sure that, that it's a good project at the outset and that it stays a good project for the rest of time. Uh, but the average uh, buyer of carbon credits, you know, the, the consumer who, who wants to offset her, her purchases of an airline ticket, uh, has no way of, of providing that kind of diligence. So we want to create a, a, a set of standards that are agreed and understood. We want to have a, a governance framework that can oversee those standards as they may evolve over time, as new technologies come in, or as, as, uh, as there's new understandings of the impact of, of different uh, carbon offsetting approaches. And, uh, and then, one, then we want to have a, a, a market, a, a clear, understandable, liquid, transparent market, where if you buy a credit on that market, you know that it's good. And if you're looking for funding for your project to suck carbon out of the atmosphere, you know you can offer your credits. You, you can create credits by, by developing this business to, uh, to, to take carbon out of the atmosphere. Uh, and and you, you can achieve funding that you wouldn't otherwise be able to achieve, or at least you can achieve it much more easily. So our objective is uh, with this task force is to take what is a very fragmented and, and sort of bespoke market today and to create some standards that people can believe in, everybody can believe in, to create the infrastructure for there to be a market and be very transparent about that, to put the governance around that so that it can, can thrive not just today, but for decades and generations to come. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and allow uh, much more efficiency in terms of that, that rump of, of uh, carbon that's going to have to be stored away rather than just reduced. Uh, because no matter how hard we try, we're not going to be able to reduce it to zero at least not in time. Yes, I want to pick up on the issue of carbon credits. Um, there's a lot of skepticism around them. I read a quote from somebody suggesting that companies are playing the benchmarks to look good, that essentially it's a form of greenwashing for a lot of corporations. What do you feel about the skepticism? And also, could you explain a bit more about how the voluntary carbon market will differ from the existing market? Yeah, no, it's a good question because the skepticism is real. Uh, and. And I think the skepticism is well-founded uh, in, in many, many ways as well, based on the, the previous uh, experiments or, or experiences in, in carbon markets. Um, there were projects that were done to, uh, to, to avoid the cutting down of, of rainforest in the Amazon. Uh, but then we found, uh, you know, as soon as the, the, the sponsor of the project collected the, the carbon credit money, they cut down the forest next door 
So there was no actual change in behavior in terms of the impact on the economy or, or on the environment relative to what was going to happen anyway. Uh, and, and unfortunately, there are there are enough of those, you know, call them scam stories or, or loophole stories that it gave the whole market a bad name. So what we find is happening uh, now is that the, the, the companies that are most committed to, uh, to to using the carbon offset market to reduce their, their own reported emissions go out and do the due diligence themselves. So they have teams of you know, dozens of people who are assessing projects up front and monitoring the projects over time. And uh, it's not to say that you could never have another scam when you've got that kind of resource committed to it. But um, but it's very expensive and very inefficient, uh, and lots of really good projects don't get funded uh, because there just isn't enough capacity to assess all those projects in a in a highly bespoke way. So the the objective here is to is is to agree a set of standards at a very high level, uh, and then give the, the the funders of those projects confidence uh, that the projects are good at the outset and will remain good. So what's what's different this time? Uh, one is. We're trying to create a single global set of standards uh, with a single global set of verification techniques to support those standards, uh, where we can build the confidence that these projects are real, uh, legitimate, and, and will be impactful. That's just very different from the, 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 the customized market that was uh, a little bit of a free-for-all, Wild West, not transparent, the pricing wasn't transparent, uh, the ability to differentiate between one project and another was was left only to the experts, and the experts weren't working in a, for a common good. They were working for a, a particular sponsor or a particular uh, funder of these credits. Uh, so if we're successful, and I think we will be, uh, you know, we've got leading uh, corporations, governments, NGOs who are very focused on on the climate change agenda, academics, uh, financial institutions, the world's leading thinkers on, on, on climate change coming together in this task force. And the objective uh, for us collectively is to create a legitimate uh, and robust and liquid and transparent market that will allow the money to go from all these people that want to get to net zero and have committed to get to net zero into the hands of the people that can actually get the carbon out of the atmosphere. That's the point of all this. And if we can get the best minds in the world from all walks of life uh, to agree on a set of standards, agree on a set of verification uh, mechanisms, uh, and uh, agree to do so very transparently, uh, then I think we'll end up with a, with a market that's much more efficient. And you know, the, the thing that I find in some ways most exciting about this, uh, and I, is you mentioned uh, uh, that you know, maybe credits are just a big greenwashing exercise and it's a way for, for corporations to avoid uh, the responsibility that we all actually have. Uh, and of course, there is some truth to that. There have been greenwashing projects. Uh, you know, there have been people who have been claiming great feats of accomplishment that actually haven't contributed very much to to the fight against climate change. It, it's real, right? It's, and and uh, you know, greed hasn't disappeared from, from our planet just because we're concerned about climate change. Uh, but I think if, if we create a really robust market Together with with a very strong set of commitments from all of our stakeholders to hold us accountable, the number of places where the greenwasher can hide reduces dramatically. What do I mean by that? I mean, I don't want the greenwasher to have any place to hide. I want the their owners to say, I want a very concrete plan that's very specific about how you're going to reduce your emissions. Right? Tell me what they are. 
tell me the actions that you're taking and the consequences of those actions being you're reducing your own emissions. And when you go out and buy carbon credits, because you can't reduce your emissions to zero, I want to know what projects you're investing in. I want certainty that these are legitimate projects and that they stay legitimate over time. And I'm going to hold you responsible for that. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to look at the price of carbon in the market. And I'm going to ask you, at that price of carbon, what is the, the, the value destruction that you're introducing while you have anything other than net zero? So in other words, if you're a company that's making a billion dollars of profit, but you're also producing 100 million tons of carbon, and if that carbon is worth, let's just say, $30 a ton, you've actually destroyed $2 billion of value for society. You've got your billion of profit, but you've wiped out $3 billion by spewing this toxic carbon in the, into the environment, which we're telling you is, is worth $30 a ton. Uh, so I, I think if, if, if stakeholders are holding these companies accountable and we have the mechanism for the companies to actually discharge their responsibilities, then there's no place to hide. And that's got to be our objective. Standard Chartered often talks about the concept of funneling investments to where it matters most. What does this actually mean in relation to climate change? And why does Standard Chartered believe it's so important? When we talk about funneling money to, to, to the places it matters most, we're really talking about the, 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 the two dimensions of climate change and carbon emissions in the, in the, in the developing world. So you know, number one, the developing world is most exposed to, to a rise in temperatures, as, as we discussed before, uh, whether it's flooding or, uh, or extraordinary heat. Uh, or weather change, the, the, the developing markets, they're, they're not set up to cope with, uh, with the climate changes in the same way that we could in, uh, in the UK or the US or, or in Germany, where we've, uh, we've got the, the ability to, to, to provide some resilience, even if temperatures go up. Uh, in the developing markets, they don't have that resilience. So there'll be tremendous human and economic suffering uh, if we don't halt this climate change agenda. So that's where it matters most. The second way it matters most is that, that, that many of these same markets are the biggest emitters. And it ranges, you know, everywhere from cooking stoves at a very micro level to, you know, massive coal-fired power uh, in in very in, in faster-growing economies. China is the fastest-growing economy in the world, uh, is is uh, racing forward with renewables uh, and nuclear power, which obviously is is good from a climate change perspective. It has its other challenges, but you know, China is building tremendous new capacity uh, away from fossil fuels and carbon-emitting power sources. But the economy is also growing at a tremendous rate. Uh, so the fastest in the world, biggest contributor to global growth, uh, that makes it very, very difficult for, for China to stay ahead of the curve in terms of, of, of carbon reductions. In other words, the biggest impact uh, for, the, for, the, for, for the, the, the global climate change agenda will be to find new ways to help China accelerate their migration away from, from uh, carbon-based power to, to alternatives. Uh, likewise, Nigeria, you know, likewise, uh, the, uh, the, the rest of Asia, etc. Uh, so our markets, and not because we planned it this way, it's just where we happen to operate, uh, are both have the most adverse impact if we don't get this right, uh, but can also have the most positive impact if we, if we do get it right. Given that the priority of most companies is to generate profits and that these same companies often see the transition to low carbon as low priority, that they're going to sort of affect change over a long period of time. Why must action happen now, and what are the first steps that they can take? 
You know, I, I think where you started the question uh, is itself a, uh, I think, quite a controversial statement. I, I think there certainly has been the view uh, for some time that, that the primary objective, or maybe even the sole objective, if you believe Milton Friedman, of the corporation is to generate profits for shareholders. Um, there's clearly another school of thought that has uh, has developed, it's always been there, but it's developed very robustly, which is, you, know, you can call it stakeholder capitalism, uh, where the, the objective of the company is more than just generating profits for uh, for the shareholders, it's it's generating value uh, for society, uh, and uh, in many cases, I think there's a sense that that you can it's either one or the other, and that if you're doing the right thing for the shareholders, it's it it might not be right for society, and if you're doing the right thing for society, it's going to cost your shareholders something. I can tell you at, at Standard Chartered, uh, and I think at many other companies, uh, we reach a different conclusion, which is by by doing the right thing for society, uh, we will. Uh, attract more clients. We'll attract more excellent people that want to work for us. We will be exposed to more opportunities to help our clients do the right thing for society, that we'll earn a fair profit from those things that we're helping our clients to do, and that we can actually do the right thing for society and do the right thing for our shareholders. They're not exclusive. Uh, there might be a timing mismatch, but even in our case in sustainability, I mean, Going back to one of your first questions, you said you guys said you're not going to finance coal-fired power plants anymore. Now, I can tell you, when we looked at that, we said, oh, it's going to cost us an amount of money because we're, these clients are not going to deal with us anymore. That's not the way it worked out. Uh, we ended up doing more business with those clients because they needed help with their transition. And we're very good at sustainable financing. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a core competence of ours. We intend it to be even bigger. And, uh, and, and we will make money by providing those solutions to, to those clients, uh, and it will offset the money that we were that we were making on those clients when they were doing something that was less valuable for society. This is a micro example, but I, I think, uh, and not every case works out that way. In some cases, we just have to say no, and and we're going to lose some money. Uh, but it's still the right thing to do, and we will do that because we've got a broader uh, agenda, broad, broader purpose that we that we are serving. Uh, what can companies do today? Well, I mean, the, you have to start by understanding what your uh, emission footprint is. What am I emitting today? Scope one, scope two, scope three. The, the um, task force for for disclosing uh, your carbon footprint has been very effective in, in setting the reporting uh, guidelines for people who want to uh, or, or or will be compelled to disclose their carbon uh, emissions. It's it's been focused on financial institutions, but I think every industry has their own. Uh, so you start by measuring it, uh, then you uh, identify which are the projects uh, that you could undertake. Uh, that are economic, totally independent of, of, of any kind of a subsidy or carbon credits or anything else. Because in many cases, the, uh, the the opportunity to reduce your carbon emissions is actually economic at the same time. You're upgrading your plant, you're, you're, you're upgrading your means of production, you're uh, identifying alternative sources of fuel that are actually cheaper. Uh, now, many times those require investment up front, uh, but it's not a bad investment. Uh, so I, I think the the effective management team of a company it looks very hard at one, how can we do things that actually don't cost us anything today? Maybe changes the priority and, and you make those decisions. So you, you start with those projects right away. But some of it's really simple. You know, I, I, I set up in front of my colleagues, well, I set up in front of my colleagues three years ago and said, I've looked at how much paper we use on our executive floor, right? The people I sit with day to day. And it was hundreds of pages of paper per day. I said, first of all, none of you guys reads hundreds of pages of paper per day. Uh, sec secondly, we've got really good technology now. I mean, I've got a laptop that I can just unplug in a single 
socket uh, or an iPad, uh, and we are going to go paperless on this floor. And, you know, we reduced our paper consumption within six months by 92%. We don't allow single-use plastics anywhere in our company at any time. I deeply embarrassed myself last year by uh, I went into our canteen and uh, there was no plastic anywhere uh, except a, a plastic straw, uh, you know, drink, a drinking straw. And I picked it up and I went to the to the head of the uh, catering and I said, you know, come, I told you no single-use plastics. He said, Bill, uh, that is a cellulose straw. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really good, right? It's it's really good. Well, that story went a little bit viral inside the organization, mostly because I made a fool of myself, uh, <laughs> but because I think it also indicated that that even the little things like a like a plastic straw, you know, you have to care about. Yes. Uh, and 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 we do. So so I mean, there's this, and, and and none of that costs anything, right? <laughs> In fact, not 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 printing the paper saves us money, and uh, and replacing our our plastic cutlery with wood or with with washable metal uh, isn't costing anything either. Uh, people feel good about their small contributions, but you must not let the small things get in the way of the big things. And the big things are, where am I sourcing my power? Uh, how am I transporting my um, product? Uh, who are my suppliers? You know, am I kidding myself about the, uh, the, 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 the degree to which I've reduced my carbon emissions by exporting my pollution to somebody else, to my supplier, who is producing in, in, uh, in a market that doesn't have the same standards that, that I do? Uh, so that, that's why it's so important to understand uh, both scope one, scope two, and scope three. What are my emissions and, and what is my plan to get those from where I am today to net zero by 2050? And I mean, more and more, uh, there is no uh, corporate management team or CEO in the world, public or private company, that's going to be able to avoid answering that question. What are the key messages that you want listeners to this podcast to come away with after they've listened to this episode? I'd say one is uh, everybody has to understand what net zero means for them. Uh, everybody should uh, should make that commitment to get to net zero. Uh, everybody should have a primary focus on uh, on taking their own actions uh, to reduce their direct emissions and working with their supply chain partners to reduce their emissions so that you get the maximum reduction. We have to focus on reductions first. And then final uh, step is is to understand the carbon market and participate in it for that amount of, of emission that you can't reduce yourselves. Uh, because those investments in carbon reducing capabilities and technologies uh, will be the, the thing that saves the planet at the end of the day. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Well, my thanks to Bill Winters, Group Chief Executive at Standard Chartered. If you like this conversation, we also have a second episode available now. Just search Transitioning to Carbon Net Zero wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out more about Standard Chartered's approach to sustainability, please visit sc.com forward slash sustainability. Until next time on Transitioning to Carbon Net Zero, goodbye.